0: All right, guys, critical race theory, LGBTQ nonsense, transgenderism, feminism. Where is all this coming from? Well, it's coming from communism and today we got Curtis Bowers. He's going to be coming in to give you a history about communism in America. You're not going to want to miss out. Welcome everyone to 1819 news, the podcast. I'm Brian Dawson, CEO of 1819 news and host of this here podcast. Uh, And today, I'm super-duper excited about today's episode. We're joined by uh, Curtis Bowers. Um, Curtis is a friend of mine. We've gotten to know each other over the last three or four years as our paths have crossed at um, church things and different kind of conservative events. Curtis is a a filmmaker. Uh, He has made the award-winning documentary. Uh, He's the director of that film and its agenda, The Grinding Down of America, and then also uh, the subsequent documentary, Agenda 2, Masters of Deceit. Curtis was also a, a, a state representative in Idaho uh, and was also a restaurateur uh, in, in, I guess, his former life um, running restaurants. Um, Curtis has been married for 33 years, and he has nine children, and they all have a name that begins with the letter C, uh, as does his name. So that's pretty neat. Uh, his kids are great. Um, that's um one of the, the the coolest things as I met Curtis and got to know his family is just seeing how wonderful his children are, uh, how happy their family is, and it's um, just really inspiring to see. So, Curtis, welcome to 1819 News, the podcast.
1: Thank you, Brian. I appreciate you having me on very much.
0: Awesome. So today, um, we're going to talk about uh, Curtis's story, um, kind of where he grew up, about his parents, how that influenced him, and how he basically got into what I would call uh, the um, anti-communist ministry. I don't know <laughs> what when he titles it, but really warning uh, the people of America about um, the communism and uh, their tactics of how they're trying to destroy what God has created here in America uh, and how that's a, a very spiritual battle that, that we're all engaged in, whether we know it or not. Um, we'll talk a little bit about just the history of communism in America, the long march to the institutions, uh, those type of things. And if we have time, I'd like to squeeze in Talking about ESG scores, which is uh, essentially social credit scores, uh, if we have time. So, before we jump into that, I want to tell everybody uh, where they can go to find the podcast Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Go there, give us a thumbs up, like it, um, subscribe, hit the bell. Make sure you're getting notifications uh, every time we publish content. um, Leave a five star review, tell everyone how much you love the podcast because we know you do. If you've already done those things, tell your friends. Uh, People always ask, What can we do to help at 1819 News with what you guys are doing? Uh, Help us get the word out. And then also go to 1819news.com, subscribe to the newsletter. Uh, So you're getting the newsletter each and every morning. We've actually bumped that up to where it's coming in at 530 in the morning instead of 745. um, And have found that to be actually more helpful uh, to our listeners. So um, with that, we'll jump right in. So, Curtis... um, as I kind of teed up there, um, and one of the things we love to do on this podcast is we want to get to know people. We can usually jump right in and get into data and, and, you know, philosophy and all this other stuff. But to me, it's important to get to hear people's stories and, and, and it's amazing how people's stories usually influence the work that they're doing. And I think that's the case with you. Um, tell us your story, where were you born, um, about your parents and, and kind of how that molded you into what it is that you're doing now.
1: Well, I was born in Tampa, Florida and to, uh, Two parents, both of which were wonderful. Um, they were Christians. They understood the times. They were involved in what was going on. So I was raised in a family where we were paying attention. We would talk about what's going on in the world at dinner time, and and my parents would always give me a proper Christian worldview of what was happening. So this was a natural fit. God prepared me, as He always does. Just remember, remember that God will prepare you ahead of time for what he has you to do, even when you don't see that's what's happening. Mm. And I look back now of my life and go, oh God, you did this perfectly. <laughs> well, of course he did. But but to me, I didn't know why all these little pieces of the puzzle were fitting together. Just a quick story that will encourage you tremendously, but about my parents, it'll, it'll let you know more about me than anything I can say about myself. My mom and dad in 1961, they lived in St. Louis, Missouri. My dad was full-time in graduate school, getting a PhD in electrical engineering, and he was working full-time for McDonnell Douglas, so very busy. My mom was pregnant with my sister, and she had already lost four children in a row, and the doctor said you can't get out of bed for the entire pregnancy, so she didn't, but she used her time wisely. This is the the parents I come from. She started reading books about what was going on in the world, and then would let my dad know what she'd read. One of the books she happened to read which changed the direction of their life, was a book called Masters of Deceit by J. Edgar Hoover. Mm -hmm. She read this book and this is the head, the, the leader and founder of the FBI. And he wrote a book in 1958 called Masters of Deceit. And he said in the book, if you Americans do not wake up, these masters of deceit, the communists, are gonna take you over from within. He had had agents in undercover and all the different cells. And in that book from 58, he had a whole chapter, Brian, on the church saying, we see them going into the seminaries. We see them Mm. going into the divinity schools. He had a section on the schools. They're taking over the teacher's colleges and they're trying to get in charge of the curriculum. He had a section on Hollywood and everything else. Well, my mom read that and it shook her up and she gave the book to my dad and said, Jim, you got to read this. And and he said, I'm too busy to read another book with work and school, but he finally read it. And then here's a couple in their early 20s, and this is a good example to all of us, going, we can't do everything, but we can do something. And so this is what they would do. My mom would get all the St. Louis papers delivered to the house each day, and she'd read all the letters to the editor. And when someone, one of them was written by someone that got it, that understood the times. She'd call them up and realize we need to connect with them. We need to grow our network here. Mm. So she'd call them up and she would say, I loved your letter to the editor. Can you set up a meeting this Thursday in your home and invite all your family and friends? And my husband's gonna come over and give a two hour lecture on communism. Mm. And they did this one night a week, even with how busy they were, because they were concerned about our country. Well, my dad tells me the story. He said, one night I came home, it had been pouring down rain all day. And right when I walked in the door, mom said, I got a meeting set up for you tonight. And he's like, no, (laughs) I'm too tired. And she's like, oh, you got to go. You don't know who might be there. So this again is another encouragement to you listening. You have to be faithful in the little things. You'll never have a big thing to do if you have not been faithful in the little things. Mm. If you're trying to protect and preserve the values here in Alabama, then you need to be doing that and living that right where you are. Well, he said, I drove across town in the pouring rain, and when I got to the meeting, because of the rain, only a couple people had shown up. But he was faithful anyway, and he gave the couple people there his two-hour lecture on communism. When he was done, one of the men there, came up to my dad and said, if half of what you said is true, we are in serious trouble. And my dad said, well, that's why I'm doing this, even though I'm so busy. They became good friends. That man started borrowing all my dad's books and articles and things that he'd read. And in a couple months, he knew more than my dad. And he came to my dad and said, Jim, I'm gonna quit my job and write a book about this. Mm. And my dad's like, my dad's like, don't get carried away here. He said, no, I check my savings. I have enough money to last two years. So he quits his job. He researches for two years and writes a book. Well, he finishes the book January 1964, and he can't get anybody to publish it because he's never written a book before. So he self-publishes it. Now, remember 64 America. Yeah. <laughs> There's no internet. No There's Amazon. no credit cards. Yeah. If you want a copy of his book, you literally have to send him cash or check in the mail. It's not in a single bookstore in America, and out of his garage in eight months, in 1964 he sold six million copies. Oh and when goodness. Ronald Reagan, and when Ronald Reagan was elected president of the United States, he said, "I would never have been elected president." of the United States if John Stormer had not written the book, None Dare Call It Treason in 1964. It started the entire conservative movement in America. Wow. And so I tell you that to tell you, be faithful in the little things. God's the one that parts the Red Sea. He's the one that multiplies the loaves and fishes. But I love that story right from my family where God took my dad's little faithfulness and said, I'm gonna do something with this. And so I guess Brian, a long story, but a good story to remember that we just have to be doing what we've been put here to do and let God worry about the big picture. And that's the people I was raised by. So that's why I was perfectly prepared to what God would call me to do later in life to, hey, you need to get involved in this fight to wake up people to the truth of evil people that are purposely trying to take down our country from within. Um.
0: Wow. And that does explain a lot. And that's why I think it's imperative that people tell their story rather than just the thing they're good at. And you, and to me, God uses story and God is the writer of our stories. And when you see someone's story, you can see what God's doing in that story and how he's making that story part of his story, which is history. Right. And so that's right. Um, that's amazing. Um, I, and <laughs> I've heard you speak numerous times and I remember, uh, we were at, uh, the Wetumpka Eagle Forum meeting and you and Becky did the, I don't know what it was called, but essentially you were in one seat and she was in the other and she just kind of teed you up. And I think you talked for like an hour and it only felt like five minutes and everyone in the crowd, there was, you know, tons of people there and they were just like more, 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 (laughs) like we want more. Um, So I'm super excited to have you on and and sharing your story and all this stuff. Um, So what, obviously that, that was the building blocks to, to open your eyes to the dangers of communism. But also as I've heard you talk and have watched, um, we just watched agenda with, um, my family group. We've got a, a group of young men that comes over on Sundays that we're doing biblical manhood training with. Um, and, uh, we all sat down and watched agenda, uh, this last Sunday, um, just so that they, they could see that. And also, so I could kind of prepare for this, this interview. And I, it's probably the third or fourth time I've watched it, but, Talk about your story when you were in college. I believe it was in Idaho and the communist meeting that you went to, kind of thinking it was going to be this undercover thing with a bunch of hippies and that.
1: Yes. Well, so again, so my dad is real good friends with John Stormer, who ended up being an author, but then he also became a pastor and the head of a Christian school in Missouri. But so in 1989, the Berlin Wall had come down, as everybody remembers. And then December of 91, the Soviet Union had dissolved and said, okay, we're done. And then John Stormer, that man who had been studying communism his whole life, he saw that they were having a meeting then the summer of 92 at the University of California, Berkeley. And he'd written so many books exposing communism, he knew he couldn't go. So he called me and said, would you go to this meeting and see what they're talking about? Because communism's over. The whole world was saying that, it's over, it's done. And he goes, I wonder what they're gonna talk about. So I went to this meeting at the University of California, Berkeley, where the Communist Party USA was breaking off a new group called the Committees of Correspondence. And I was there for three days, 12 hours a day of lectures and breakout sessions. And they laid out this agenda. They were uh, upset that the Soviet Union had needed financial help, so they had to kind of go to plan B uh, because they couldn't keep up with America and how successful we were. But they said, we're still now just going to double down on what we've been doing since the 30s anyway, is corrupting America from within. um, So it will collapse on itself. And the three main things they talked about, they said, we need to continue to do everything we can to destroy the family. And if you heard them talk about the family, They said it's a man-made institution whose only purpose is to enslave women and brainwash children. (laughs) Mm. That's their view of the family. And we have to do away with it. So we need to continue to get behind the feminist movement to make women discontent with marriage and motherhood. We need to encourage people to not get married and just live together. And then we need to do anything we can to start pre-pre-pre-K programs to get the children away from the parents' influence as soon as possible. So that was their plan for the family. Then they said, we also need to do away with this evil uh, free enterprise system. It's so unjust. And They went on and on about it. And I'm like, what are they talking about? But they said, we feel, and this is 1992, so it's 30 years ago last month. 30 years ago, they said, we feel the only thing that will be capable of driving business out of America and creating enough regulation and red tape, it's just hard to make it in America, is if we can get behind the environmental movement. We just feel the environmental movement has the potential to do this. And again, right now we see how that's happened. But in 92, I remember writing in my notes going, How would you do that? I mean, it didn't even make sense because the environment was just a fringe movement of people, you know, handcuffing themselves to trees in Oregon and stuff. It was not it was not mainstream at all. So you're like, how could you stop business with that? But they had a plan. (laughs) And then the final thing is they thought that our the fabric of America's morality, the Judeo-Christian principles were enslaving to people where they weren't free to just do whatever they want. And we need to extinguish that morality. And we feel we've been very successful in many areas, but we feel the final way to eliminate all talk of morality and all standards is if we can get the American people to accept homosexuality. And that, again, 30 years ago, that's what they said. And, And so... I looked at that and, okay, I gave my notes to Mr. Stormer and went on about life and it didn't think about that meeting again until 16 years later in 2008 when I was a representative.
0: Mm, wow. And I, I remember the, when you told the story, I think it, maybe it was in, in the film or one of the times I heard you speak, but... Um what's one of the things that stood out to you was you showed up to the meeting expecting to see maybe some young hippies or something. And it was all businessmen in suits with briefcases. And like these, these people meant business. It wasn't just yes radical pothead hippies with dreadlocks.
1: (laughs) That's right. I bought a radical t-shirt said we need a revolution or something. And I, I mean, I was, I thought it's going to be college radicals because it's at University of California, Berkeley. I was probably the youngest person there it was all 50, 60 and 70 year olds with briefcases. And so that was sobering when I walked in there and there's probably 1400 people for three days. Um, And what caused me to write, uh, to make the films later was, I wrote a letter on what I just told you in 2008 when I was a representative and it blew up in the news and people started protesting at the Capitol, the homosexual movement got a group, The human rights people together to come protest. And I said, all I said is what they said at their meeting, but it blew up into a big thing. And letters to the editor were pouring in. And one of the men that was defending me say said what Representative Bowers said is true, but that's nothing new. It was all written in a book in nineteen fifty-eight. And so I got a hold of him. What's the book? He said, The Naked Communist by Cleon Skousen. And what that was is In that book, Cleon Skousen had been an FBI agent and he had gone in undercover um, and, and then he had gathered all the information from all the agents that had gone undercover into meetings of the Communist Party in different cells and said, here's the 45 current communist goals he compiled. Here's the 45 main things they're talking about. And he put that together and then he printed it in the Naked Communist. And I'm gonna read you just a couple of these So these are from 50s America. So I didn't make up anything. What one goal here, (laughs) goal 26, present homosexuality as normal, natural, healthy. Wow. They were saying that in the 50s. They knew if you want to corrupt a culture, you have to pervert marriage, what it means, you have to destroy family, you have to make a people immoral. And people listening, the reason they want to make us immoral is because an immoral society collapses on itself. Um, Listen to a couple of these other goals. Goal 25, break down the cultural standards of morality by promoting pornography in books, magazines, motion pictures, radio, and TV. Mm. They knew if you get pornography going, marriages start falling apart and they get the kids. (laughs) And the whole thing's crumbling. When your life's falling apart, when you're having your third or fourth child and you're not married, you need government help. And so it it enslaves people and the entitlements, but you're you're also so self-focused then. But they they saw all that 65 years ago. Yeah, if we can rot them from within, they will collapse on themselves. And uh, goal 24 ties into that too. It says, eliminate all laws governing obscenity by calling them a violation of free speech and free press. They knew. You get an obscene culture, it'll become immoral. And once it becomes immoral, it will start collapsing. And so, but, uh, so those are some of the things then in 2008, when I read through that list, that was from 50 years earlier, even though I was very knowledgeable on a lot of stuff, it just sobered me up. I'm like, our enemy had a specific list that we knew about 50 years ago, and we've allowed them, to accomplish all of them, I, I was fuming mad. And I realized, people need to know about this. And that's what drove me, I said, God, people need to know. How do I let them know, should I write a book? And I'm not that good a writer. So I thought, oh, that's not my gift. And then I started to feel pressed, oh, this needs to be a documentary. But I have no background in film. I've never made a film before. I didn't know how to do that. But I go, no, people will watch a documentary. And slowly, over six months, praying about it, God pressed it on my heart. I want you to make a documentary. And I was like, I don't know how to. (laughs) And he said, I want you to do it anyway. And I said, thankfully, yes, sir, but you have to help me. And he did, he directed my path in so many ways to be able to do that. Um, But it's, uh, so that's how I kind of came about making documentaries when that wasn't what I had been doing in life. And then speaking on this topic all over, because really the bottom line is this, communism is simply a world where they have erased the influence um, of God. That's what it is. That's what they're trying. If we can just kick God out of everything and then make people forget God exists, you will have communism. That is the fruit of a society where you've said no to morality, no to God, no to family, no to whatever. It collapses, and that's what a lot of people don't understand. When it collapses, they have to step up and be totalitarian to keep control, because the whole thing starts unraveling.
0: There's no self-governance at that point. That's right. (laughs) So when when I've talked to my people here at 1819 about this, because I'm really trying to open the eyes of everyone who works for me here, uh, that that, that this is the war. This is the battle that we're all engaged in. Whether you realize it or not, this is it. When you turn on the TV, this is what you're watching. The people who own the TV stations that you're watching, they know about this and they're the ones that are involved in it. And it's, and it's, and it's everywhere. But I take them back to the garden. Like this is the same fight in the garden, right? It's, it begins with Adam and Eve and the serpent. It's that fight. It's the same fight between Cain and Abel. It's the same fight throughout history of good and evil you know, darkness versus light. And then you see it manifesting itself throughout history in an East versus West. Right. And, 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 and then now we see it more as a communist versus capitalist, but really it's, it's evil against God is what it is. And it, and, and it's manifested itself in these different ways. And we've tried to tell certain stories or look back on it in history and, and frame it up however we want, but it's the battle that was in the garden. It's, it's good against evil that's what it is. And and this is what we're up against. It's not, you know, there was days when, when the Democrats, um, and the Republicans, it was like, well, we think it should be 30% taxes. Well, we think it should be 20. That's not what we're dealing with anymore, uh, within our political parties and kind of in that we'll, we'll get into where, where, where not only has a political party been hijacked, but so many other things that have, um, I came into this fight, um, I, I think, Curtis, as you know, you do prison ministry, and this is one of the areas that we connected on, and specifically, I think um, it was Charlie, uh, one of your older sons, um, who came up and said he'd listen to my story, and, and we talked about that, and he told me that you did prison ministry. But I got saved in prison uh, in Colorado. Uh, it was probably 2010. Um, I've told my story before, so I won't go into the whole thing, but I got saved in 2010, and, and um, I believed in Christ and I, and I started to read my Bible, but I didn't. I didn't understand how that worked in other areas, and um, I still had kind of squishy politics, if you will, um, as far as abortion and all these other things. And I had a, a friend in there who gave me a book, and the book was called *The Death of the West* by Pat Buchanan. Uh, and I read that book, and that was it. And and that's exactly what it is. Is it's talking about this exact same thing where. Um, there, there is an intentional onslaught against everything that God calls good. And if, if they can destroy all these pillars that essentially the, the, the Puritans have built into Western civilization that, that lifted this country, you know, it was all built on Christ. And, and that's another subject for another day. I'm actually doing a podcast this afternoon with another uh, group on Christless conservatism, uh, you know, and how ridiculous that is. But, um, you know, they, I I always thought about it as these pillars that are upholding this beautiful civilization that, that, that is the source for human flourishing and all that is good and freedom and free markets and prosperity and all of these things. There's these pillars that are holding it up and the communists have come in and they're basically like termites or pestilence into these pillars that are just, you know, gnawing at these pillars until they collapse. And this whole society is going to fall down. And so, um, you know one of the things i've i've talked my audience through on a couple of occasions but really want to get dig into um is the long march through the institutions how how i remember reading it in the book was essentially they tried to move communism west by tank or to use biblical language to move it west by sword they thought that they could do a conquest and as you know they were in the east moving into western europe um and and the communists would would promise the poor the proletariat class status and equality um that they would get the say the 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 poor german to fight against germany by promising them you know status and wealth and these type of things and to create that class warfare um <clears throat> and so they thought that that was going to work that they were going to be able to do an uprising country by country as they moved into western europe and what they what they underestimated was um love of god and country and so these people said you know i don't want the wealth i don't want the equality um, I love my country and they fought communism back. And so they pushed it back East. Um, and, and that was essentially a lot of what had to do with world war one. I think I'm not the completely studied historian on it, but they said, okay, well, how, if we can't, if we can't win by tank, how are we going to do this? And they basically said, okay, well, um, we're going to win through culture and institution. We're going to have to, we can't invade. So we're going to have to infect. And that is kind of what birthed the Frankfurt School of Thought, which is referred to as the Frankfurt School, where they begin to send all their leading communist Marxist thinkers uh, to Frankfurt. And then from there, that's where it was basically like a a communist think tank on how they were going to destroy the West. Um, And I believe education was higher education. Ivy League education was one of the, the first things that they aimed at. And a lot of the people that were at that school were not Orthodox believing practicing Jews, but people of Jewish heritage. And that was in the late thirties, early forties, and it wasn't a safe place to be Jewish. So they moved to America and, and where they moved was Columbia University and then they began the, the infiltration there. That that's how I kind of framed it up for my audience before and kind of how off the top of my head how I remember it. Yes. But let's let's talk about that communism moving into America and what they've done to be so successful at achieving those goals that that were in the Naked Communist.
1: Yes, those those plans that you talked about, they were outlined the best by a man named Antonio Gramsci. Mm. He was the one that, he had gone to the Soviet Union, Union while Lenin was there, and he was a communist, an Italian communist, he said, Lenin, if you want world communism, you have to have a different strategy in nations that believe in God. And Lenin said, no, we don't. We will have world revolution to world communism. And he kicked him out of the Soviet Union. He went back to uh, Italy and was thrown in jail by Mussolini at the time. And he ended up spending the rest of his life in prison. He never came out. He died in prison, but he wrote a book from prison called Notes from prison, and in there, he said, "If you want to take a Judeo-Christian country down, here is how you do it." And he outlined: he goes, "You you first have to capture all the institutions of influence and use those to change the people themselves from within." And so that's why you you know some of these things like like the school one I didn't read, but this goal, goal seventeen, get control of the schools, use them as transmission belts for socialism, yeah. soften the curriculum. So you 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 start teaching socialist ideas, and when the kids grow up, they'll want socialism. Why do 70% of young people today want socialism? Because they were taught socialist ideas K through 12 and in college. Yeah. Because that was a plan. They knew we have to slowly penetrate these institutions. If we can take over entertainment, media, education, um, we will change the people. We're they, they will be asking us to tear down these statues of this history of our country. It's evil. Uh, we want socialism. We, they'll be asking for all the things we wanna feed them and we won't have to fire a shot. And, but Antonio Gramsci is the one that understood that. Um, and so, yeah, it started coming into America really heavily in the 1930s with the Frankfurt School. But the person that brought all those intellectuals from the Frankfurt School to America was John Dewey who was the father of government Mm -hmm. schools. Mm -hmm. Most people don't understand he was a radical already. He was a communist. He wasn't officially a member, but he was one of the first board members and people of, of the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union. And a lot of people go, well, that's a liberal organization, but it's not communist. Its founder, Roger Baldwin, when he first started that, when they asked him, what's ACLU about? He said, the goal is communism, unquote. And for the first several years they were in operation, the ACLU had their offices in the Communist Party USA headquarters in New York City. So it was a hardcore communist organization from the beginning. And John Dewey was one of the original people involved with that. He was also a founding member of the Socialist Society in America, but he brought these intellectuals to America and dropped them down at all the top universities to start taking over education, to start breaking down the social fabric, the love of country, the the Judeo-Christian principles. You start slowly tearing those out where they're not acceptable. And so that's why our, our educational system is where it is today. A lot of people go, it's not working. It's a failed system. No, 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 no. You you missed the whole point.
0: Wildly successful. It's,
1: it's accomplishing exactly what it yep. was intended to accomplish. Produce, as John Dewey said, a student that will fit like a cog into our socialist machine. Mm. So if you want a kid to be a cog, where well, you just sit there and turn all day doing nothing, you have to have dumbed them down tremendously yep. and beaten beaten out of them the independence, the creativity, the, the, the desire to do something meaningful with their life. No, just beat them down where they're happy with bread and circuses and then you can institute your 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 plans. Yeah.
0: Wow. I forget who said it, but um, you know, when they talk about socialism and teaching socialism in school, the and you'll you'll know right off the top of your head, but they said the goal of socialism is communism.
1: That's Lenin, Lenin. Vladimir Lenin, yeah. who is the founder of the Soviet Union, said we never push communism we as communists, yeah. we push socialism. Cause you have to have socialism before you can have communism. Yep. Why? It, a lot of people go, why is that? Because it's very hard when people still have the f- private property and they still have everything. It's hard for you to just take over that country cause they have the businesses, they have control of things. But if you implement socialism where the government slowly takes control of all the different things, then to go to communism, is very, very easy because that they already have the levers of power in their hand.
0: I, I like I'm grimacing as you're talking about this because I'm just like in my mind's eye, I can see it all happening, you know, and you know, exactly. you talk to a lot of these really wealthy people and, and I've, I've been trying to get them to to wake up and fight. You know, the left has been investing billions and billions of dollars in education and media and so what I'm most passionate about is those are my two subjects is education and media um, and trying to get them to wake up to the fact that, you know, it's, it's the weirdest thing. I'll go talk to them because they have so much money. They're like, you know, I don't mind paying 50% taxes. Well, well, the problem was it was 20, then it was 30, then it was 40, then it was 50, and then it's going to be 60, and then it's going to be 70. And yeah, sure, you might be good with 30% of your wealth, but I'm not, right? I don't have enough money to survive off of 30%. And what they're doing yeah. is they're it's the whole idea of the boiling frog, they're they're taking these people, <clears throat> if they tried to jump from 20 to 60%, there would have been a fight. But they're right. slowly eroding it and eroding it into where they they own all the profits, they own all the, the the mechanisms to create profit, they own, and you know, the, the state grows and grows and grows. And like you said, that's socialism. And then communism is when the government owns it all, essentially, right?
1: Right, and that's that's the direction they're heading with the Great Reset, <laughs> which I'm sure you've talked yeah. about and things. we'll bring you on Were to talk about that next. <laughs> They're, they're trying to t- make it sound virtuous, yeah. you know, like, oh, you'll own nothing and be happy. You know, oh, isn't that a wonderful thing? Well, guess what? If we own nothing, what does that mean? It means they own everything. Yep. It's just simply communism, but repackaged for an idiot so that he goes, oh, that helps the environment. If I own nothing, it just rent everything that I use Okay, I mean, but that again, they they are so confident in this cuz they've raised the last several generations. Yeah. So they know the kids are on board with this craziness and they know it's crazy. I'm sure in their closed-door meetings they're laughing at just the craziness that people will accept as, "Oh yeah, that little boy might be a little girl or this all this stuff you're like it's it's the most crazy evil thing you've ever heard of." And they act like no, this is the new, <laughs> strange and new. This is wonderful. So it's that's where we're marching. It's where they've always wanted to march. But like you said a little bit ago, a key part that you said, the end of all this, it is Satan who is their commander in chief. Yeah. And you ha- And you see that even if you study this. As I was studying this in detail for years and years, I kept finding groups like that were in Europe different parts of the world and America that did not know each other. And they were marching to the exact same drum beat. I was like, and I remember having dinner once with John Stormer, uh, who wrote that book, and I dare call it treason. And I said, Mr. Stormer, as I study this, I don't understand how are they so coordinated? Is there a top person? Because it seems like there has to be because they're all doing exactly the same thing. He goes, I've looked for that top person for 50 years, Curtis. And I found him when I read in Genesis chapter three about the serpent. Yep. That that's that's why. So so the Karl Marxes, the Charles Darwin's, the Friedrich Nietzsche's, George Hegel, all these people—they were useful idiots of Satan—to eloquently put into words uh, a system to to motivate people to create a system where God was not allowed. Um, and of course, communism is atheistic in its teachings. It's not atheistic in its practice. It is satanic. Uh, Karl Marx himself said, my goal in life is to dethrone God and destroy capitalism. So these people were not atheists. They knew God was there, but they hated it. Mm. And they said, I am going to dethrone him. I will be like the most high. So that's, that's what makes, helps it make sense because a lot of people say to me, I get emails now when George Soros dies, isn't going to really hurt their plans. <laughs> I'm like, nope. No. <laughs> He'll find another useful idiot.
0: Yeah. That
1: he will offer, he will offer what he offered to Jesus, and he has the power to offer. He can give someone fame and fortune. It's it's crystal clear in the Bible, Satan does have that power, and he gives it to those he knows will th- move forward his agenda. And so that's why he's always able to find. Why are almost all the super rich in the world so evil? Not all of them, but so many of them.
0: Yeah,
1: I think it's because Satan gave them that power. They know it and they are using it earnestly. Like George Soros is trying to spend every penny he has before he dies. Yeah, why doesn't our side do that? Why is our side, like you said, hoarding it to themselves for what?
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> you're, you're. Oh, I need billions more for my family. I need more. I need more. Why? Why, yeah. why don't you use that to engage in this battle? Um, but they hardly ever do, which is so sad.
0: And we've been fortunate and blessed at 1819 and some of the other groups I've worked with to to have watched um, some wealthy conservatives come out of that shell and begin to really wage war and, um, you know, see, see um, being effective. And it's funny, though, because another thing that conservatives, especially wealthy conservatives, they have, um, I wouldn't say it's instant gratification, like in a negative way, but they're business people, and so they see you know you put this in, and then you you get ROI kind of instantly. Well, something else that the left is really you know there are people who've been dumping billions and billions and billions of dollars in for decade after decade. They have a very slow committed investment strategy. They know the ROI is going to come. They believe in the strategy, and so they just put money into it, and and then and and then over generations they see this fruit. They they've a lot of the people that have given to this have died, and then <clears throat> one of the things that. I talk about, um, a lot is, um, national public radio. So I worked in our American stories with Lee Habib before I came here and that was essentially a conservative uh, offshoot um, of national public radio called American private radio. And so when we reversed engineered national public radio, we realized that, um, all of their money, everybody thinks of this big government subsidized thing, but it's actually, um, like-minded philanthropists, corporations, universities, and pledge drives. Um, is 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 where they get their money and um one of the things that we found was um ray crock i think was conservative he died left his fortune he's the mcdonald's guy left his fortune to his wife who is not conservative and she left her fortune rather she left 200 million dollars to national public radio 200 million dollars right and she didn't leave it there because she liked the the apolitical unbiased stuff they did it's because they were moving an agenda and she felt that they were worth 200 million dollars I mean, that's, that's insane. Right. And so, um, they, they believe in this stuff and they invest heavily. And so trying to get, um, to get our people to see it. And I, and I, and I think it's happening and I think people are waking up and, you know, I I believe the, the, the left and the communists have have pushed so hard and they've showed their hand so much since 2020 with COVID, with critical race theory, with the stolen election, with, you know, all this stuff. Um, they have, they have shown their hand in a way that people are waking up. And I think, I think it's two it's in one sense it was out of desperation. I think they needed to get Trump out of there. So there was some desperation, but also I think they're so confident now that there's, you know, like the, the world economic forum, like stuff that used to be Alex Jones conspiracy theory stuff 10 years ago is now just on their website.
1: That's right. Right. And so yes, And they feel
0: so confident that they're going to be able to pull this off that, that it used to be a shadow thing that was happening. And now it's just right out, right out yeah, front. And, that,
1: and that's one of my prayers. <clears throat> And people listening, you can put this on your prayer list too. I always pray, God, would you have them be so overconfident in their pride that they push it too fast and there's a great awakening to realizing where we're going and people don't want to go there? And I think some of that is happening right now where way more people than any other time in my life are waking up and going, what's going on? And that's wonderful yeah. um, because as you awaken the troops and once you see, like when you read that book by Pat Buchanan, once you see the truth, you can't ever close your eyes yeah. again. You, you just all said you get it yep. and you realize we are in a spiritual battle. We are in a war for our very freedoms, our country, and, and then a free America is necessary to uh, the potential of a free world and the sh- uh, the. the Funding of missionaries and everything throughout the world all comes from America. So we have a very pivotal place uh, to accomplish God's purposes on this earth. But anyway, I, I'm hoping and praying that they will continue to go too fast. Amen.
0: <laughs> And I want to clarify something too. I just brought up Donald Trump. I don't want to pick him in too positive a light and sense like I'm super grateful for him. I think Roe v. Wade gets overturned because of what he did. He fulfilled a ton of promises. You know, he, he did thing. And, and that's how low the bar is. You get a guy that comes in and just does what he says he's going to do. And we're all just over the moon because we've been so poorly served by previous, you know, conservative conservatives, uh, big, big uh, scare quotes around conservative there for the people listening and not watching. But um, you know, i I also just saw he had a a meeting with, um, Klaus Schwab where he came out and said that Klaus is doing great work, right? So we can't get to the point where we're, you know, and, and he was also out, you know, pushing the vaccine like a madman when it came out. And, and so we need to be careful not to worship him. If he's doing good things, then, then we praise him when he's doing bad things. We need to be able to criticize him. And I think we've, we have done a pretty good job of that, especially in Alabama. Um, so he's, he's not the solution. Um, I hope that, you know, if, if he does become president again, I hope he continues in that same pattern of doing good things. Um, I hope he doesn't get us into a a Klaus Schwab situation, but, um, ultimately, um, Satan is their commander in chief and he has useful idiots. Well, our master in chief, our, our commander in chief is King Jesus, right? And he's righteously ruling sitting at the right hand of the father. And he is our King and he is the one that we serve and he doesn't have useful idiots. He has disciples, right? And he's, you know, gives us, the things that we're supposed to be do. Get married, you know, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth and exercise dominion over it. Get married, have children, train those children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And he gives us instructions. And man, when we're faithful to the instructions he gives us, we're way more effective than they are. But we've yes. completely ban we've abandoned those instructions. Um and, and and because we've bought into some of this infection that's gone through our culture.
1: Yes. And on that point. Everybody listening, think back to 1984 if you were alive then. I was born in 84. Okay. (laughs) Well, in 1984, Ronald Reagan was running for president against Walter Mondale. And this is really powerful when you think about how much and how quickly we have changed. Reagan won 49 states. Mondale won one state state. So back then, a man's talking pro-American, uh, pro-freedom, pro-free you know, enterprise talk, 49 states said, that's what we want. And mm-hmm. only one said, no. If, talking about the family and how God designed the family to be such a powerful institution, if the people that had voted for Ronald Reagan in 1984, everyone that just voted for him, if they would have just raised their children to understand what made America, America, understand biblical principles, understood the difference between a lie and, and the truth, just those simple things. And they would have focused on that. Maybe they just voted every four years, but that's about all they did. We would have a 90 plus percent majority today. Yep. We've had all the ch- They're not having any children. We are having the children, but they're stealing our children. And that's that's what's happened. If, if again, Christian families in particular, but even people that just patriotic taught their children those patriotic principles, then that continues on. But if you don't have any influence over your own children, then you have nothing continuing on after you are gone. And that's why it's so important that we speak truth, stand for the truth, and live the truth. Mm-hmm. So w- what we're saying, our actions are consistent with that. When our kids see that, they're like, dad's the real thing. He says this stuff and he does this stuff. Yeah. He, he he that's so important. Everyone I I know that convicts you it convicts me too because I make, makes me go, yeah, I got to make sure I'm always faithful like that. Yeah. You can't have contradictions in your life or the light of your life that, that light that's supposed to dispel the darkness it becomes so dim because of the contradictions. Mm. And so we need to be faithful to just live it out and be faithful right where God has placed us.
0: Amen. Now, something you just said really um, sticks out. I heard a, a pastor say this once, that we've essentially resorted to being breeders for the secular left. We have resorted to becoming breeders for the secular left. And I was like, what does he mean by that? And it's exactly Ugh. what you just said. They're having about 0.7 children per family and really 0.3 per person because they don't even really do the family thing. I mean, they still do because mm-hmm. it, it's built into nature to get married and and do those things. And so they're having like you know 0.7 per family. Um, and, and, you know, conservatives are still kind of at that two mark right around the, you know, um, reproducing at the rate of replacement. And so if we're having two and they're having 0.7 and, but yet their, their movement is growing and ours is, 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 you know, um, shrinking and, um, atrophying essentially, but we're having more kids like over double the amount of kids that they're having, but our group is shrinking. That means that we're breeding for them. We're, we're That's producing great. the children. We're the ones going through the, the, the child, you know, the, the pregnancies and the childbearing and the changing of diapers and the, 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 the stuff that goes into producing humans. Um, and we're the ones that are doing that. And then they're taking them. And I want to talk about yeah. how they're taking them. And this is not at a place that I've gone uh, on my podcast yet. i I wanted to be very careful to make sure that I'm in a place where I've earned the trust of my listeners and, and, and their respect, um, before speaking on this, but I think this is the, probably the most pivotal key issue um, in, in, in just flat out in, in our country that we're dealing with and specifically the state of Alabama, how is it that they're growing? And, and, and that's the question. How are they stealing our kids?
1: Yeah, they're doing it in many ways, but one of the key Marxist ideas that we bought into 70, 80 years ago in all the different institutions of influence is the idea of the age segregated peer grouping. And what that means, if you don't haven't heard that term before, it's when you take children and you age segregate them. So you have all the 12 year olds together, all the 11 year olds together, all the 10 year olds together. And this age segregated peer grouping, it does so many things. And Karl Marx talked about this it does so many destructive things and we don't realize it. Even in our churches, a lot of times we have Sunday school classes, different ages. And I know it sounds good and everything, but what it does is when you're 11-year-old and all you hang around is 11-year-olds, you are doomed to be the fool. I mean you when everyone's just as ignorant as you are that you hang around your whole life and then when you become 12 then you're still hanging around all those same people that are 12 now so there's no wisdom to hand out to, to one another or to get from one another cuz you're you're just there with people that don't know anything either and so it was very strategic where it, it, it so it does that but it also then a key thing Marx talked about is it then it makes it very easy to socialize the child in when you've been around your, just your age group your whole life, you're very susceptible to peer pressure because you've learned the day you walked into kindergarten with your red tennis shoes on and everybody else had white, you learned, uh-oh, I'm going to be teased. A system with when it does not have any leadership, which is age segregated, peer grouping, the bully always reigns over that, always rises to the top. So you always have the bully Oh, look at his red tennis shoes. And you learned, oh, I was so embarrassed. I'll never wear red tennis shoes again. And you learn to start submitting to whatever everybody else is doing. And you are scared to death you're going to be different in any area. And so that's why when the teacher says, 4.6 billion years ago, this happened, you oh, okay, I, I can't say anything different than everybody else is saying. So it whips people into submission. Mm. It, it makes them truly ignorant because they're not really... Hanging out with people, when my kids were young, my boys especially, I said, I want all your friends to be at least 30 years older than you. <laughs> um, and they have gravitated, my son Charlie, when he was 12, if you'd have said, who are your four best friends, all of them were in their 60s. And he, they were good friends and they would teach him things where he'd come over and help them mow their lawn or something, but then they'd teach him how to fix an air conditioner. And they loved that time with them because they had learned so much in their life. They wanted to impart it to somebody. And then a 12-year-old kid loves being around an older man that actually does something for a living and knows about something where you can ask him a question. he's like, oh, well, let me show you, Charlie, how that works. So here's how a tractor works or whatever. And I saw that. And then he was just not really interested in people his age as much. He had some friends his age, but he says, they're boring because they don't know anything. And I go, exactly. And and so, but, but that's a key thing. We have to, the Bible says, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but mm. the companion of fools will be destroyed. Yep. If you're not walking around wise men, if your children are walking around wise men, they're not going to be wise. Yeah.
0: And talk about a companion of fools. A perfect picture of that is going to the public school system and see a bunch of kids hanging out with each other. That is yes. literally a companion of fools. It's not saying that they're stupid or anything like that, but they they don't have wisdom.
1: It always sinks to the bottom yeah. too. All it takes is one kid in the class to have the bad magazine with them. And that's yeah. what everybody's doing. Yep. You no, know, that's the thing parents don't get. I used to be a high school math teacher, so I was in this system and I, say, I just realized as I started to have my own children raise them, I'm like, I can't put my kids in there. Even if the curriculum was good, even if the teachers was good, the culture would still be rotten because the kids, again, it's this atmosphere where it just, it it, it makes everything sink to the bottom. I just remember the hallways, some of the things kids would be talking about with young ladies there, just vile, wretched things. This is in the schools in Idaho. Twenty plus years ago, yeah, they weren't they weren't even near the bottom, and I was like, it was it so violates you just hear walking down the hall, even if everything else was good, and uh, anyway, so, but that's so through that age segregated peer grouping, they were able to take our children from us without us noticing. (laughs) Because, oh no, he needs to go to Little League with his age group. He needs to go to church with his age group. So they're not even there with the parents. He needs to go to school with his age group. He needs to go to everything, it's his age group. So his whole life is away from his parents with people that are as ignorant as he is or she is. And then if people have bad intentions, it's so easy then to manipulate them at that point because they're sitting ducks. Yeah. They don't know anything about anything. So whatever you tell them becomes the truth.
0: Yeah. And so I think um, really, and, and I kind of, you know, I'm sure when, when we talk about the stuff that's going on, and, and I do want to hit one more point before we kind of get into what can we do about it. Maybe I'll save this part about schools for that. But I think the biggest thing that I'm trying to impress upon, you know, anyone listening, um, people that I that I know, that I'm friends with, is that the responsibility for training your children and the nurture and admonition of the Lord, um, what kind of young man, what kind of young women they're going to turn into, what kind of people they're going to be. God places that responsibility squarely on your shoulders and yours alone, and so it's really hard to fulfill that responsibility if your kids are never with you because they're in a you know a government school who that's actually working against you with everything they have working against you, Um, and then like you said, and they go to little league and you don't see them, and then they come home and you know they're on their phones and. And so, I mean, it's literally our society, it's the, the answer is so radical because the problem is so radical, but really the answer is actually really simple. And it's the way that it's been for thousands of years has, has been that, you know, the family unit was responsible for the, you know, making sure that their children were trained um, that, you know, the, the, that your God is their God, that your ways are their ways, that the things that you love, they love. Um, and you see that, you know, it's very rarely do you have a, a dad that's an Alabama fan that has a son that's an Auburn fan, right? So we get some of that stuff right, but what we're not realizing, it's actually our responsibility to teach them all kinds of other things other than what football team to root for. Yeah. And so it's tough, and I know what I'm saying is harsh, and it's going to hit some people hard, and they're not going to like it, but I think that we're at such a place in our society that that's the one thing. If we could, you know, um, we're going to do everything we can to try and, you know, push back against the Alabama Education Association, the National Education Association. We know that not everyone is ever, you know, there's single moms and stuff that aren't ever going to be in the position to 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 bring their kids home or to send their kids to, you know, maybe a school that that, that reflects their values more or something like that. But I think we all need to be moving in that direction and and repenting and moving in that direction. Uh, because if not, it, the, it's just going to be this. It's a generational fight. The communists, the left, they understand the value of children way more than we do. So much so that they value our children more than we do sometimes, and they're going after them. And the only the way that we can defend them from that is to keep them close to us, to keep them near us, and to keep them away from the wickedness.
1: That's right, especially while they're young and innocent. Yeah, and it's. I know it's a big task, but. When you do it, I'm just telling you, I remember years ago when I realized my daughter was in kindergarten at a Christian school and I started to be convicted from all the things I read. I think I think I need to be the one educating her. Yeah. And and I remember the day I came home and told my wife, I said, we're gonna homeschool our kids. And, and one of the things that had influenced me is every young person I would meet anywhere that was really nice when I would talk to them and they were just nice and happy when I asked them, where'd you go to school? They'd say, oh, I'm homeschooled. And I was like, man, what is this homeschool stuff? Every kid yeah. I meet that's really neat, yeah, they're homeschooled. But see, they have not been age-segregated peer group, so they're totally comfortable talking to an adult or yep. to a young person, because they're at home with their younger brothers and sisters and their older brothers and sisters. It builds a tight family, Um, but it, 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 it but it protects them um from all these different things. And we, we just... They have to be worth it. As I've traveled the country the last 12, 13 years, I've heard so many sob stories from so many parents that they watch my movies and then they realize what had happened and they tell me, they say, We lost all our kids. We didn't know all that stuff your movies talked about. We didn't know that was going on where they're trying to take our children from us, but we can't even talk to our own grandkids now. They won't let us see them because we're conservative or whatever. Yeah. So, so the reason Brian is saying this to you that are listening, the reason I'm saying this is because we love you. Yep. And we don't want you to have a heartache that is so painful because you can't ever go back and undo what has been done. That's the horrible thing about life. That's why you want to be wise from a young age forward. That's why you you want your kids hanging around wise people because most of the time in life, we only learn it was a mistake when it's too late to correct it. And we don't want to do that. So I'm telling you, bringing those kids home, influencing them, building a family that is just one that they want to be a part of, that, hey, we're the Bowers and this is how we do things. it's, It's a fun thing, but... The parents must be the primary influencers of the children or they will not be influenced in the right way. Nothing else can fill the gap. I'm just telling you. I've seen people that counted on the church to raise their families. So they were there every time the doors were open, which isn't bad, but that's what they were hoping the church would kind of just rub off on the family. Yeah. And I've seen those families collapse. Because yep. they weren't being built up by the church, they were being propped up. I've seen ones that, oh, well, they do the Christian school thing. Well, I just hope this is gonna work. And it collapses. And I've heard, I just so many different things. Um, and then I as I look at it, and the older I get, I go, I don't think any of those other things are working because they're not the way God designed them to work. Yep. God wanted the mom and the dad to have more influence on their children than anyone because they love them more than anyone, and they care about um, their souls, and they care about their life. Your your, kid, your children are not prepared for life if they've been taught lies for 17 years when they get out of college. They're going to make a mess of their life, guaranteed. Yeah. That's why we, we have to protect them.
0: Amen. There's so much more I, I want to go into with that. I think I'll make one more point, and then we'll move on to kind of what, what can we do. So obviously, you know, getting our families back. Uh, fathers, you know, this is literally the, the message. It's so funny. It doesn't matter who I have on the podcast. Um, you know, it's supposed to, we were initially going to be like a news and culture podcast, what's going on in Alabama. Uh, let's bring on a country music singer. Let's talk about barbecue, you know, something like that. But it, But at the heart of 1819 News is trying to get our state back, trying to get our state back. We have incredible people. Um, an overwhelming amount of people who believe in God and profess the name of Christ, um, hardworking, independent God. It's why you moved here, right? This is why you you yes. you moved to Alabama is because of the culture and the people here. That's right. And so we have it. And then our legislator, or, you know, our legislature, um, every four years they reflect the people when they come out with their shotgun and their Bible and talking about how much they love Jesus and Donald Trump. Um, To get elected. And then for the next four years, they go in and legislate like New York Democrats. Right. It's and and it's crazy. And so this is one of the problems that we wanted to solve. And it was how can we fix Alabama? We want to fix Alabama. We want to use the power of this media outlet to inform the people of Alabama what's going on uh, and also um, to encourage them and teach them how to do the things they can do to take back the state. Because, you know, there's a lot of people that are with their heads popped up looking around that maybe they were the ostrich with their head in the sand before. But now through the critical race theory, the COVID stuff, the election thing that just happened, uh, the transgender movement, you know, with kids, you know, uh, mutilating their genitals and, you know, um, boys dressing up as girls going into girls' locker rooms and raping them and, and, and all this stuff, like you can't keep your head in the sand anymore. So now there's all these people with their heads popped up looking around. What can we do? We want to be a source that can help point them in, in, um, in the right direction. And so... <laughs> Every time we get someone on the podcast, and I'm talking a, a wide gamut of people have been on the podcast, and we come back to, well, what, what's, the, what's the biggest problem in Alabama? Fathers. Men. It comes down to men, specifically men, men and fathers. Um, they're either absent, abdicating, or effeminate, or um, just not active fathers, uh, and then also pastors, um, weak and cowardly pastors, which is another thing we didn't get into um, about how the communists have gotten into the seminaries and the seminaries have been teaching this watered down weak gospel that bends its knee to the God of secular humanism rather than to King Jesus. Um man, we're just gonna have to have you back on because I think we're at yeah, we're right at getting coming up on the hour mark. So okay. um the one point I do want to make back on the family thing, and um the the Bible gives a, a ton of instruction in the Old Testament about how to raise your families, and a lot of us have separated the Old Testament from the New Testament, and we don't go to the Old Testament for that wisdom and how to live the way that we do the new. The Old Testament Deuteronomy six talks about teach these things to your children, talking about the law and the ways of God. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, that's all the time you need to always be teaching these things, always be training your children, always talking to them about God, always, always, always. And and so, but then you go into Ephesians six, um, and it says, you know, children, obey your parents and Lord, for this is right. But it also goes into uh, train your children up in the nurtured parents. Train your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And we hear nurture and admonition, and we've heard that verse so many times, we just read right through Ephesians, and we don't know what those words mean. Nurture and admonition is translated into nuthateo and paideia. And so nuthateo is a form of biblical counseling. We call it nuthateo from that word that, that means to confront sin. And so we should be confronting sin in our children's lives, correcting them, pointing them back to Jesus. But the word that I'm really after is that paideia word. That word paideia what that is is it's a word that comes from the greco-roman culture um, that paul is borrowing from it was a very controversial word in 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 that time very much the way if you said conservative or republican now it, it, it incites feelings whether you like it or you hate it there's a feeling that comes from it it wasn't just an empty word like camera or light or something it's a charged word And Paul says, raise your children up in the paideia of the Lord. And what the paideia was, was a form of Greco-Roman pedagogy and child training. And what it means is to absolutely enculturate your children in a Christian culture, not cultural Christianity. That's not good. But what that means is that your children, um, so when Greeks talked about paideia, they said, how do we make sure that our children turn into Greeks? How do we make sure that our, our, you know, we're Greeks, we want our children to be Greeks. We want, as I said earlier, um, our God needs to be their God. Our ways need to be their ways. You know, their loves are, you know, our loves are their loves. Our affections are their their affections. And it's, and it's building these things into our children so that we're essentially replicating ourselves. That was paideia. <clears throat> and it was a very um, strong word in that. And so Paul is saying that we need to have a Christian paideia. And it's hard to do the Deuteronomy 6, try, you know, teach these things to your children when you're sitting in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, always. And then to have a Christian culture that your children are supposed to be in, when you're shipping children off um you know 5 days a week for 7 hours a day you know for 12 years it's hard to do Deuteronomy 6 and Ephesians 6 with your children um when when they're going to a place that that hates you that hates your guts and hates your values this isn't to say that the teachers do i think there's especially in Alabama there's incredible people in the public school system that love your children and that love God but the the problem is is where this education and curriculum and all these things are coming from and so um, probably gonna get a lot of hate email after this one, but you know, that's right. I've got thick skin. So what, what else can people be doing? Curtis? Um, you know, the left we see has a plan. Uh, they have a plan. What, what should our plan be? How can we fight back? So take back our families is number one. What, what else can we be doing?
1: Well, I, getting involved, I mean, what you're doing here at the 1819 project, um, we all need to be supportive of that. Um, Those listening, I'm going to go as soon as we're done with this podcast and pledge. I'm sure you can do that $25 a month or whatever, forever to help what you're doing. I encourage people listening. That's a simple thing. Yeah. Sacrifice one meal out a month to support them and what they're doing. So they have the the funds to make a bigger influence and a bigger impact. Then listen to these things. So, you know, what's going on? Here's what's going on in Alabama. I think we really need to focus on Alabama I think our country, as far as 50 United States, that's that's done. I, and I know that's kind of hard, sober sounding. There's just no way the Californias and New York—they're all going to be unified with us ever again. We are a country that is so divided. Half the country wants to go this way and half the country wants to go the opposite direction. Well, when that's the case, there is no compromise. You're going one direction or the other. And so I think we need to double down on the states. That's why we came to Alabama. I I thought this is a great state that has a lot of fiber still there. And so you taking that seriously, where you're involved in elections. You're involved in getting the best people possible, starting at the local level up to the, the state level. And then you hold them accountable when they lie to you and say, oh, I'm for this, and then they don't support that. Yep. And and so we keep working on that because that's loving our neighbor, because we're, we're trying to make Alabama the best state for everyone. And that's what we need to do. Uh, like you're talking about the, the father problem. If you're a father that's not plugged in, you're probably not listening to this, but you need to be. that That's your number one objective of your life is to raise the next generation to, to obey and follow and love the Lord. I mean, that yeah. that's the point of life. You might do different things for work or whatever. Those are relatively unimportant in the scheme of things. Whatever you do is honorable because it's providing the funds necessary so you can raise the next generation. Yeah. That's why, it, but we focus just on the money, which God said, oh, that that's meaningless. And we don't go, no, no, if God's blessed me with a little extra money, what does he want me to do with that money? I need to do something with that. It wasn't for me to have it in my bank account when I die one day, it was to use. And so we need to be thinking like that. We need to, whatever church you go to, you need to encourage the church to be engaged in the community in a meaningful way, an educational way of teaching them biblical principles so they'll know who to vote for and they'll know how to, to, to what we're trying to obtain here in Alabama. Um, I think there are just so many different things. But the it was probably 23 years ago, I heard a talk a guy gave about homeschooling, and we weren't homeschooling at the time. And he laid out a vision of how the family was a multi-generational institution. Mm. We're, we're, you're part of something way bigger than yourself. Yeah. This thing is generationally, and he said, we as fathers need to direct it where it's gonna be, faithful for generations because Mm. of our influence. And it it so inspired me. I was like, oh, I want to do that. I felt kind of overwhelmed on one hand, like some of you might, like, where do I begin? You begin by taking one step in that direction. And and you start praying, God, would you help me know how to do this best? But I, I just look at that influence and then how I've worked now for 23 years to try to keep refocusing us as a family on being faithful. Yep. On, on doing what God would have us to do. And when I moved down here, Brian, to Alabama, one of the negative things was I thought, oh, I've got a few kids that are married and have families, and I hate leaving them, which is a big deal. Well, about six months after we moved down here, they said, both families, hey, can we come and move ne- near you down there? We love being around <laughs> your influence. And I'm like, sure. And I thought, <laughs> but, but I but I thought parents listening to that I thought, and I'm thankful to God for this. It's not me, but he got a hold of me in his word and through other people influencing me. And I said, I want to try to be a man leading a family that is pleasing to you. And it's a blessing to all that are involved. And in them choosing to come down and being here and, and raising the grandchildren around us and my other kids that are getting close to marrying age, there I ask them, or do you think you'll try to live around us? And they go, Yeah, unless God calls us to a mission field or something. And I'm like, eh, that's it's that's what gut family was supposed to be. I get more joy out of that than you would get out of if you someone gave you a two-week trip to Hawaii or whatever you think's neat. Yeah. And it's every day because it's right there. God intended that family to be a blessing to you like nothing else. And a lot of us aren't utilizing that because we haven't invested in it to make it something where the relationships are so sweet and enjoyable. And there's not perfect. There, there's issues, but you work through the issues because you have such strong relationships. Um, and it's, that's what God intended all of us, regardless of how much money we have to enjoy and to be a part of. Amen. My prayer is that a hundred years from now, I'll have a thousand times the influence I do today by my children being faithful and raising the next generation after them to serve and follow the Lord and that they will teach them. You have to teach your children to serve and follow the Lord. And so it'll be something that God, if, if he blesses, will have a huge impact.
0: Amen. That's so good. Well, Curtis, thank you again um, for joining us. I'm going to try and make you a, well, not try. I'm going to do everything I can to make you a regular guest. Uh, that'll be uh, incumbent upon your time schedule because um, I, I think the, the the message that God has laid on your heart to come and share uh, is very much in line with um, what we're doing in 1819. So uh, thank you uh, so much um, for mm-hmm. joining us. And, and quick, where... Where can, where can they find you? I want to tell people first, Agenda, you can get it on Amazon, or I don't know, what is the best way for them to watch Agenda, uh, The Grinding Down of America, and then Agenda 2, the the sequel. What's the best way they can find that?
1: Yeah, if you want to just rent them, you can do that on Amazon. Yeah. And then we have a website, AgendaWeekly.com, where I do kind of a weekly update to the Agenda, um, and that's a subscriber-based thing. But that's AgendaWeekly.com, and you can buy the videos there, too, if you'd like to.
0: Okay. And is it what is it I 5 dollars a month is that what you're Yes my our
1: subscriber is that and we provide a news brief prayer and action items and then a video of me kind of going through a topic that's relevant to today so you understand what's going on uh, without having to spend your whole week trying to figure out what's going on yeah. to save you save you time.
0: That's it. And it's it's very good, guys. I, I highly recommend you go- going there. And you said it was Agenda.com? Weekly. Agenda
1: AgendaWeekly.com. Weekly.
0: AgendaWeekly.com. Go there, subscribe to it. And I'm telling you, buy the documentaries. You will not be sorry. Um, I went and bought it again. I think I have the hard copy somewhere and I just bought another one on Amazon anyway because I know we're going to be watching it again. Definitely worth Thanks. your while. Uh, it's a life-changing movie. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this. Uh, And as always, until next time, put your trust in God and keep your powder dry.